Adventist Radio London, inspiration for the soul.
pray. Heavenly and merciful Father, we are grateful and thankful for a beautiful Sunday evening. There's so much going on. The clock has gone back. I think we got an extra hour of the hour and the hour has been taken. But whatever has happened, dear Lord, help us to have a fulfilled evening and a beautiful week. As we are listening to Let's Talk Business, we pray that people will be inspired, motivated to do better or to do well or to go after their dreams. And we pray that everything here goes according to your name's honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, our reading today is from the principles that we're doing, and it's principle four, know your yeses and your noes. It says here, be decisive and make great decisions. Make decisions based on values. Know you knows. So it says, say yes to those things that will make you and your organization better. Live up to your word. Make your signature mean something. Fulfill your commitments. Great decisiveness is a key to influential leadership. People cannot follow a person that does not know where they're going or why they're going in the direction that they are going. And Jesus gave a secret to leaders in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 36 and 37. He states, and do not swear by your head for you cannot make even one hair white or black. 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The power to say yes or no quickly means that you know where you are going and what you are trying to accomplish. Make your words mean something. Develop and build trust relationships by conveying to others what they can count on you and your commitment. Now, many leaders lose their influence with others because they commit to aspirational yeses. Leaders must know their no's and be quick to say yes or no. So in other words, make up your mind, be decisive. And once you're decisive, say what you mean. So we're going to be listening to Donna McClurkin. When we come back, we will speak with Chris. Again, again I call you, and again you answer. Again I need you, and again you're there. Again I reach out, and again you hold me. You can hold me once more. When I need company. Someone just to sit with me When I need a helping hand Someone to understand me yes. When I need someone who cares Someone to wipe away my tears Reach out and calm my fears I know that you'll be there Seem to mind, and 
you're always treating me so kind Time after every time You're proven once again Come through once again. Indeed. Welcome back to Let's Talk Business with me, host Claudia Welsh. And we are talking with Chris. But, 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 before we have a chat with Chris, just want you to remind you of an event that will be taking place, uh, by, um, being put together by the Hampstead Church. It is called Hope in Christ in Last Day Events. And it's a online evangelistic series. And it starts from November 20th to December 3rd. And there are a host of pastors, both national and international. So just get ready to tune in, to listen, and to be blessed. So that's Hope in Christ in the Last Day events. And it's from November 20th to zero to December 3rd. And it will be quite varied in the deliverers of the message. And hopefully you'll all be blessed in Jesus name. Now, let us speak with Chris. Welcome back again. Hi. Now, Chris, I'm going to ask you something that I ask every single solitary person who sits in the seat that you sit, whether literally or otherwise. And it's three words, three words that 
your spouse would use to describe you and why and three words that your clients would use to describe you my audience like to know the person who is being interviewed okay well um so yeah, i did have okay i got two minutes to uh, think about this um yeah. uh, and so actually the first thing that came to mind claudia was the word grumpy um but i thought <laughs> I'd, i thought i'd move on from that and uh, come up with the words that i hope my spouse thinks about me okay uh, and so that the three that i came up with are trustworthy caring and affectionate mm. go ahead trustworthy caring and affectionate and your clients well uh pretty similar actually because what I came up with was that for them is uh, trustworthy, mm-hmm. which is very important when you're a lawyer. Yes. Uh, also caring, because of what I do for people is uh, um, guide them through some very difficult times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and intelligent, of course, because you've got to be able to analyze and give them a good answer. Okay. So we have two of them coming across quite nicely. Mm-hmm. And we also have intelligent, where I'm sure your, your, your wife thinks you're intelligent. <laughs> I do hope so. I do hope so. But it might not be a prerequisite for the marriage. (laughs) Ah, bless you. Okay. Now, tell us a little bit about you. Where were you from? Where were you born? And what was it like growing up? What was it like? What was it like growing up? Well, I was, um, I'm basically from the north of England, um, a town called Huddersfield in West Yorkshire. Okay. Uh, What was it like growing up? I mean, Mm. that was the 1980s. It was quite a a difficult time. Um, How so? Uh, well, it was difficult in the UK because that's when a lot of things like coal mines and steelworks got shut down, which was where I lived. So mm. there was quite a lot of strife, a lot of poverty around. The towns were really pretty semi-derelict. But oh. uh, I was just a kid, so when you're a kid, you just find a way, don't you? And have fun. And uh, You don't see it. You see it, but you don't uh, process it that way. Is yes. that what you're saying? Well, so I actually... I studied history, so I can look back at it and say, wow, they were quite turbulent times. But mm. I guess, you know, uh, probably thanks to my mum and dad, I was probably quite insulated from it. And, uh, okay, good parenting there when yeah. you can have when you can have your kids in tough situation and still shelter them to some degree. Yeah, yeah? absolutely. That's yeah. fantastic. So what would you say is more memorable then? What, what kind of mischief did you get up to? What uh, kind of fun did you have? Uh, well, uh, the, <laughs> so um, the thing that really got me going when I was a kid was music. Mm. So, uh, you know, we went about 14 or 15, going to gigs and doing all the things that uh, I didn't tell my mum and dad about, like sleeping on train stations <gasps> to watch bands and stuff like that. Oh, <laughs> what was your favourite band? My favourite band at the time was, uh, they were um, called the Sisters of Mercy. They weren't that favourite. They were kind of a local band. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my friend's older brothers knew the band. So we got all the, to all the early gigs and all the, all the records that kind of stuff. Okay, so I'm going to ask you if you have a mantra or a philosophy that you live by. And speak up a little bit louder for us. Okay, sorry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do I have a mantra or a philosophy? Um, I don't think so. Um, I've done a bit of reading about Buddhism and I take being a solicitor quite seriously. Mm -hmm. So I guess guess honesty... uh, uh, there's lots of words, trustworthy, honesty, integrity, that kind of thing. But I think actually if, you, if you just approach things from an honest point of view, mm-hmm. from a kind of giving point of view, keep it kind of simple. OK, that, that's probably how I approach things. Yeah. So when you were growing up, who or what would you say was your inspiration at that time in your life? Maybe as a teenager. Uh, my inspiration as a teenager was generally musicians. Um, so I was kind of... Um, I was kind of looking as a way out to do something a bit different. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was uh, pretty. Uh, I found I found school pretty easy, but no one was really giving me that many options. It was just get a job, do the usual thing, and so uh, I, I was kind of looking for a way to break out from that. Okay, and when you say easy, what do you mean by that? What's what is finding school easy? Yeah, well, uh, well, to, the things they gave you to do, Claudia, they were pretty easy to do, weren't they? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. An essay, yeah. Here's an essay. You know, do do the sum, yeah. I can do the sum. You know. So, did anybody pick up on that? How quick you are? Because nowadays, uh, you would have been picked up and maybe matriculated to a special uh, a school for the brilliant. Because I'm assuming yeah. that you're quick. well. So, my mum and dad, again, uh, they're coming out of this quite well. They they sacrificed more than most um, because they paid for my education. So, I got to go to uh, what we call in England a grammar school. Okay. Which is a paid school where kind of the, there's a there's a entrance exam to get into it so the kind of the bright kids. Okay, so you got that opportunity. They saw that the potential in you and, and invested in it. Well, that's right. I mean, my mum and dad come from, uh, you know, small mining villages mm. and they were very keen on education. Fantastic. And uh, just to draw some similarities, I find that when, like in the Caribbean where I'm from, from, from Jamaica, uh-huh. you find that when you are poor, so to speak, um, uh, and that's economically, because in spirit we were good. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, um, education becomes the way out. And that investment is made known to you. So, you know, you had to go to school and get something and do something with yourself. And um, when you accomplish at the end of that, that that would be the star in the crown of the parents or parent who sent you, you know. So those things are highly valued. Now, give us a little timeline of what your education was like, maybe from about primary school up to university. Uh, yes, so um, I, uh, I went to the local primary school when I was five years old, uh, which was uh, in a town in West Yorkshire called Wakefield. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was 12, I went to uh, the grammar school, which was Queen Elizabeth's Grammar School in Wakefield. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very keen to get money off me, so at least I'll give them a, main, uh, a name check. Um, <laughs> when, I was, when I was 16, I actually opted out of the private school and went back into a state school to, to do my A-levels when oh. I was 16. Why? Um, I just didn't like the atmosphere. It was really quite elitist, and I, uh, mm. I, didn't, I didn't like it. I wanted to, um, yeah, I just didn't like it. I wanted yeah. to go somewhere else. And were you comfortable when you went to the state school and you still accomplished? Well, it, it, was, it was a bit of a shock, actually, I have to say, because the, the grammar school is really quite, um, quite protected and yeah. very strict. And then when you go back into a state school, we were just doing A-levels. We were just six formers, and so you were basically left to, uh, left to your own devices. So that took some kind of a, a adjustment. Quick, a bit of adjustment, yeah. <laughs> and then you realise how elitist you were, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I just felt like well maybe I'm still elated (laughs) oh bless (laughs) okay so after sixth form sixth form um, (laughs) so I'm I'm still pretty much doing what my parents want me to do here so my parents told me very early on you are going to university so me and my sister were the first people in our families to go to university so I, I went to university in Hull which is on the east coast of Yorkshire yes and, and studied studied history and mm. uh, came out of there when I was uh, just turned 21 okay so that's fantastic because um how how near is um Hull I'm trying to pick up the geography Leeds is in the middle isn't it yeah and then Hull would be over to the east side yeah exactly uh, exactly so did, directly east yeah so did you board or did you travel because that that's a bit of a well yeah so I leaving home was a priority so I, I moved to Hull for three years. Okay. And after that? 
after that, well, so I was still very keen on being a musician. So uh, I got a chance to play in a band in Liverpool. So I moved to Liverpool and ended up busking on the streets of, of Liverpool. And uh, then I actually, I was kind of starved back home. So I moved back to West Yorkshire and oh. played in bands there. Okay. So you graduated and yeah. went off to do music. You're a dreamer, you would say. When you were busking, have you taken anything uh, for, or any learning from busking of, um, at that young age into, say, part of what you do now? It has, was there any lesson that you brought across from it? Well, so my, my time in Liverpool was actually pretty tough. Uh, Liverpool in the early 90s was still pretty run down. It's mm. quite, quite a difficult place to live. So uh, I, I would actually have to walk around Liverpool looking for a place to live because the place where I wanted to live wanted to kick me out and I had no money and I was living on the dole. And uh, you get a, a check every two weeks. Because oh, no. when you're young, you go out and you have a night out. But that means for the last three or four days of that two weeks, you're not actually eating properly. You know, so, <laughs> I, so I think, um, particularly in government and stuff like that, there are people who just never know what it's like to be poor and not have enough money. Yeah. And, and the, sheer, the sheer desperation that it can cause. Okay. So what lessons have you learned during all of that then? What would you say well, you have learned and carried? Uh, not 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 um uh, not that you're dwelling on the past but yeah no, so i don't think i'm that material mm -hmm. person and i don't think you need material stuff to be happy uh, but also i think i don't know maybe it's just maybe i'm wrong there's an impression that people are judged by how much wealth they have you mm -hmm. get the feeling the government doesn't really like poor people just because they don't have much money <laughs> Uh, I think that's. Uh, I was going to say you, that's obviously not right. You think it's a, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. It's well, an opinion. Well, I, don't, I don't want to. I don't want to compromise <laughs> any political. Not at all. <laughs> We're not doing that here. Neither of us are. We're okay. just having expressions. Okay. So, at what what would you say um, when you finished university? You yeah. went to Liverpool to chase the dream of being a musician. Yeah. What happened after that? Because you, you have a degree. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, I wanted to be a musician. And I guess there's there two parts to that. Um, one is to just really change the world that I lived in. Mm -hmm. but, but around about a couple of years, 23, kind of real, I, I realized that actually I wasn't that good. Maybe I could earn a living <laughs> at it, but, you know, I wasn't really that good. And I was, I was really... Uh, very cheesed off with having no money, uh, mm -hmm. which was pretty <laughs> tough. And uh, uh, somebody who I knew through the band I was playing with in at the time, when I was about 23, 24, told yeah. me that they were doing a law conversion course. Mm -hmm. So I, I uh, gave up on music, got a job in a sales office and used that to pay my way through the law conversion course so I could become a solicitor. Okay, so why didn't you teach uh, from your first degree or, you know, a, a branch off into some form of employment from your first degree. Just sheer curiosity, because most people would have gone into a job, but um, you, you go after a dream, which is fine. But yeah. when things were getting tough. Well, so the early 90s was actually a pretty big recession. So jobs were pretty hard to come uh, by. So I was I was unemployed for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then I got a sales job, basically, because that's all I could get. Because mm -hmm. I it's quite hard to convince people that you're worth employing if you've spent two years or three years playing in rock bands. <laughs> okay. Not, not necessarily what they're looking for in uh, management material, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you could get something out on the, out on the CV <laughs> for that. Okay. So that, that um, 
you, you, one of the things that I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm admiring the fact that you go after your dream, even if it's, if, if it's a bit, um, well, if it didn't I, work I, out. I don't know about that, Claudia. So by, 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 the time, <laughs> by the time I'm 23, 24, I'm working in a sales office and I'm thinking I'll be a solicitor because that means I can't make a load of money. So. Indeed. Yeah. And you did do that when? Uh, well, I, actually, so it takes quite a long time to qualify as a, as a lawyer uh, mm-hmm. in England. So I did the, um, I did two years part-time study. I did one year full-time study. Mm-hmm. I then worked for a law firm for six, nine months. And then you have to get something called a training contract. Okay. That lasts for two years. So by the time I'd done all of that, I was a, a qualified solicitor and I was 30. Okay, well done. Uh, it almost sounds like medicine to me, you know. <laughs> but well or done. Architecture or something. Yeah. yeah. It takes a long time. <laughs> it yeah. takes a long time, but rewarding in the end, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It's a great job to have, it really is. Yeah, I think so too. Now, I want to ask you you mentioned some qualities. You mentioned honesty, integrity, uh, amongst uh, a number of qualities. So if somebody is listening to you and they are thinking, hmm. What do I need to become a solicitor? Because I'm listening to this man and I'm inspired already. What can Chris tell that person listening? Um, what, what do you need to become a solicitor? I think actually, uh, I think the thing that's missing from most solicitors is that you actually have to uh, like people. I think, a, I think a lot of people who are lawyers want to be in a kind of ivory tower and they're probably quite bright, but they think that they're going to... Uh, build beautiful trusts and beautiful draft beautiful documents and that kind of thing but actually of course even in business law it's a people kind of business it's very interactive yeah. and um uh, you know it's when you talk about liking people in all aspects of business it's about like well not working with people and getting on with people building relationships now what's your secret to building good relationships with your clients and your business partners and so on building good relationships um mm-hmm. So I, I kind of have two thoughts. Uh, and the first, as I say, just try and keep it simple. And the way to keep it simple is say, okay, what can I do for this person? Okay. If, if you look at it that way, you can say, okay, how can I help you? And that just opens things up. Okay. Away. Um, um, and if, if, you, if you take it from that point of view where you're saying, how can I help you? then that, that just relaxes the whole thing. It takes the pressure out of the situation. You're not trying to sell to anybody. You're not really annoying anybody. Yeah. And um, number two? Number two, um, I, I tend to think, uh, let's try and enjoy it. And I, I consciously think, you know, when I go to business meetings and that kind of stuff, sometimes you're thinking, oh, I really don't want to do this, or <laughs> this is going to be really boring. Or... <laughs> but if you actually say, do you know what, why don't I just go and enjoy it? So it's a mindset then, getting your mentally preparing yourself to go in and um, be positive. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, uh, sometimes you've got to walk into a a room full of people and you don't feel like speaking to them. I'd say myself, I'm actually, you know, there's a certain level of shyness there. You go, I really don't want to do this. Yeah. But you go, okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just just go in and enjoy myself and see how it goes. Mm. Now, if not a solicitor, what do you think you would have been doing Well, I would have been a rock star. <laughs> Fantastic! I'd, I'd, have been, I'd have been a brilliant guitar player. That's what I'd have been. You'd have been somebody like Tony Hendrix or one of those people. Maybe. Yeah, maybe Jimi Hendrix, maybe Johnny Marr, Neil Young, something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> 
So now, in this day and age, what inspires you? I know what inspires you and who inspired you when you were younger, but at this stage of your life, where do you get your motivation and inspiration from? Um, well, I'm really, I really love the job that I do. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic job. Um, I really get to help people. And I just, um, if I have one massive, you know, change the world kind of view, it would be to try and get business to be done in an honest way. And I, I just think um, if people conducted themselves honestly, honestly whilst in business and acted with integrity, we'd, we'd actually be a lot richer and a lot happier and we'd, we'd be doing better. Yeah. Indeed. Now, you mentioned uh, honesty quite a lot and uh, it seemed oh, to be one of the can trustworthiness. <laughs> um, those two come out a lot and it seems to uh, mean a lot to you. Now, I'm going to, before I even start asking you about the rest of um, the, 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 your, your business to start with, I'm going to say, how do you balance the, the, your moral and ethics then? as a, as a uh, um, uh, solicitor, supposing, for example, if you have a client who come in and you realize from what they're saying that they're at fault, you know, how would you balance that? Well, I, I don't often find myself in that kind of a position. If you're a criminal solicitor mm -hmm. and you have an overriding uh, responsibility to the court. Uh. So if your client comes in and says, OK, look, I, I, I hit the guy, but just don't tell that to the court then you have to say to the client, I'm sorry, I can't represent you. Yeah, okay. So, uh, and solicitors do, I, as a civil lawyer, I have my own responsibility to the court. So if somebody mm -hmm. tells me something that's a lie, mm -hmm. I can't then present it to the court in good conscience. Okay. Or, or else I'm, I'm breaking the rules if I do. Just thought I would ask because no, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, yeah, it's a good question because nowadays, um, I tell you what, there are a number of professionals, it doesn't matter, corporate business, everybody, um, every business have a side to it that if you are not morally and ethically connected, you can easily go over the other side. And that's not just for law. For well, I, th I think particularly for law, because the view I get a lot of lawyers is let's hire a lawyer so that we can find a way to cheat somebody. Mm. And actually, it's the other way around. You're, you're hiring a lawyer to help you uh, use the law to your advantage. But the law is all about rules and regulations and honesty and that kind of stuff. Fantastic. So you hear people, yes, it's okay to become a lawyer. Go and study, you want to be it. But you got to take your morals with you and know how to operate. And, and it happens in all walks of life, you know, challenges there. Now, let me just sort of um, mention some of the stuff that you say you specialize in director, shareholder, property, professional negligence uh -huh. and inheritance uh -huh. uh, 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 um, disputes. Right. Okay. Why did you zone down into the area of law that you have done now? So my, my main speciality is um, if, you, if you take a business person, yes. that business person, I think, is a good person because they're trying to create wealth and they're trying to create jobs. Uh, and I think that makes them, you know, a good person. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is in life, they're going to be they're going to come across lots of people who are going to try and stand in their way or rip them off. Um, and one of the one of the most depressing things is, uh, you know, the person you're most likely to fall out with is going to be your business partner. So we do a lot of direct to shareholder disputes. Yeah. But then if you're in business, you have a lot of relationships which are all governed by contracts or your suppliers or your clients. Those are all contractual relationships. Mm -hmm. So if they break down, then the law can step in and help you. If yeah. somebody lets you down and you lose uh, a lot of money, Mm -hmm. then according to contract law, you can reclaim that money from them. Okay. If you're in business, you take um, a lot of advice from people. 
other solicitors, accountants, that kind of stuff. Business advisors. If they if they give you bad advice and you lose money, then that's a professional negligence action. Okay. All right. So in other words, uh, you're looking out for the good guy, so to speak. And it happens in business that the closest people to you usually are the ones you fall out with sooner, which is yeah. quite interesting because I wouldn't have thought that. I, I would have thought it's the opponent over there. That's the problem. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's not uh, sure your uh, your competitors in business, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're not in, they're not looking out for you. They want to make the money that you want to make. You of know. course. They, they, they're a, but uh, the, it's the people that you rely on, mm. whether they're just a supplier or whether they're just a client or whether they're, you know, the, your business partner. Mm -hmm. That's that's when you that's when the big trouble happens. OK. And uh, you, you do a webinar, don't you? You do webinars do. on YouTube. Just tell us uh, your uh, YouTube address and so that the listeners can pen it down or jot it down and you can go and have a listen to Chris webinars about Things like uh, litigation. Yeah, so uh, I think you might have uh, reached the limits of my technical knowledge, and I didn't know <laughs> that I could have a YouTube address. If you put my name in Christopher Bergen into YouTube, yes, there's uh, there's a few videos on there as there is on my website. Uh, the mm -hmm. webinar is called Six Secret Solutions to Every Boardroom Dispute. Yes. If, ah. you, if you put that in, hopefully you'll end up on a YouTube page. You will, and it's 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 actually very interesting. I have listened to it in full. And again, as a matter of fact, and I have passed it on and share it with people that I know who may benefit from it. So do please check in, have a listen. And his name, his surname is B-U-R-G-O-N, Bergen, B-U-R-G-O-N, Christopher Bergen. Now, in you, you mentioned that litigation should be the last resort in dispute. Yeah. But how can people, meaning the clients, how can they... Uh, make this happen, work out everything so that it's the very last resort for them? Well, uh, so resolving disputes is a process. Mm -hmm. So if you say you've got a, a dispute with your fellow director shareholder, you want to do one thing with a business or, or you discover that they've taken £200,000 out of the business. Mm -hmm. You can say, what am I going to do about this? First thing you've got to do is um, come to terms with it personally. Mm -hmm. Which is actually quite hard because we're not we're not really ma uh, made up. We're not wired to think that people are working against us or our our, our opponents. Mm -hmm. So you have to get your mindset right. Once you've got your mindset right, I think you have to really you have to deal with your own emotions and try and look at it as objectively as possible. So you need to get all your information together and analyze your information. But then you've got a decision to make. You know, you can you can say, okay, well, look, this person has taken two hundred thousand pounds off me, uh, but you know, I don't care. Um, you know, they've they've earned me so much, or they're going to earn me so much in the in the uh, in the future. You know, mm -hmm. I'm just going to let them off. You know, that's always that's always a choice. Okay. Or, or you can say, okay, look, I've I've had it with this person. I want them out of the business. I want my money back. And then that's when you'd come to somebody like me. And I would help you look at all the information and I'd let you know how the law can help you. Mm -hmm. And then we can work out a strategy. So if I say to you, OK, the law can help you and you can get your money back. Mm -hmm. We say, OK, how are we going to do it? You say, well, let's write a letter. Will that work? Probably not. But after we've written a letter, what are we going to do? Are we going to take them straight to court or are we going to go into something like a mediation, mm -hmm. which is a more formal process where you try and settle things outside of the court? Mm -hmm. Or if I'm saying to you, look, I think you've got a really good case, 
let's just go for it. And then, you know, we go in a straight line and we go all the way to court, go for a judgment. Okay. So options have to be weighed. And I like the point that you make about uh, keeping emotions in check because yeah. the first thing most of us would do is blow off the handle. <laughs> well, that's, perfect. that's absolutely fine. And it, it needs to be done. It really does need to be done. But you've just got to be aware when, when you're making decisions based on emotions. Ah, because so there's two characters it's like right let's get them let's get them let's go after them chris i go yeah fine you know <laughs> let, let's do it uh but then two months later you're going i hate this please just make it go away so you're, you're on a massive emotional roller coaster and the, and the trick is to not let your emotions get in the way of proper decision making oh i like that actually really do so keep your emotions in check now if let us uh, put a case before you of some sort. What I'm aiming for are some 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 tips. If you have to go through a, a legal action, yeah. what exactly are your clients supposed to be expecting? What would they um, be expecting to know in terms of themselves and what will be taking place and how they'll fit in? Um, well, I... I hope this answers your question. I, I see my role really as guiding you through the process. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to help you uh, deal with your emotions. Mm -hmm. I, I had somebody come to me last week and they were really suffering, you know, really in a bad place. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I said to them, look, you know, you're being bullied. You know, this person is bullying oh. you. You know, you're being intimidated. It's a deliberate ploy. Mm -hmm. And that, that immediately made them feel better. They felt like somebody was on their, on their side. Uh -huh. So I'm going to help you with the emotions, but then I'm going to I'm also going to help you actually analyze the facts. And what most people do is they keep running the argument through their heads and they go, OK, I think this is a good point. I think that is a good point. It's like, stop doing that. Get all the information together. So you need to look at your good points and your bad points. Mm -hmm. Then after we've done that, we're going to say, OK, this is the situation. What actually do you want out of it? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to, at that point, I'm going to give you information about costs and what the court system actually involves. Mm -hmm. Because issuing a court case is a bit like holding onto a rising balloon. Because once you've issued a court case, you can't, you have to settle it. You yeah. can't just withdraw it. So we're going to go through a kind of a risk assessment. You know, what, what have you got to gain? How much is it going to cost? What are your prospects of success? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're staying objective. We've got all the information. Mm -hmm. We've decided what your prospects of success are. Then we're going to go through a risk assessment. So you're always running on this assessment uh, mm -hmm. about whether or not the court case is, uh, is worth pursuing. Mm -hmm. And then we're always thinking about different ways of getting the other side to see sense. So we make offers to settle. We write letters to them. We explain our position. We do this over and over again until the other side either gives up or you say, okay, I've reached a point where I'm happy with the settlement that I've got. Okay. And when you talk about cost, yeah. right? Yeah. For you, that's comfortable. <laughs> For the client, yeah. they may not, they may start out not realizing uh, the, the true cost of uh, a, a litigation. How do you broach that topic so they can keep that in check as well. So I tell you, I tell you straight up, and uh, as we're sitting here, Claudia, I'm going to tell you it's really, really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it costs a lot of money. What if they don't have money but have a good case? Have you ever gone out on a limb for a, a, yeah. a, or it's not 
wise. So what, what, what I have done in the past, and what I tend to do with my best clients is if we've if we've gone through a case and we know we've got a good case mm-hmm. and if say you're halfway through a case then you really do know if it's good or a bad case okay but the clients by that point they're running out of emotional energy and also possibly running out of cash yeah and at that point i'll say okay i will support you to take this through to a conclusion if you've got a case now which is a fantastic case but you've got absolutely no money yeah i regret because i'm a small firm i can't help you Mm-hmm. But there are larger firms out there who run things called no win, no fee agreements, and they may be able to help. Okay. Wow. Now, guys, you are listening to Adventist Radio London with me, your host, Claudia, and we are speaking with Christopher Bergen. We call him Chris for short. And he is from Christopher Bergen Solicitors, and he specializes in litigation. And yes, a lawyer can run his own business. And he's been telling us how he caters for the needs of his clients. He, he's highlighted who his type of clients may be. So we're going to give him a break. Listen to Could Have Been by Kirk Franklin. After which, we'll come back and continue speaking with Chris. No job. Outside of 
gonna do this right here. I wanna say thank you. Franklin, welcome back to Let's Talk Business here on Adventist Radio London. And we are speaking with solicitor, litigation solicitor, Christopher Bergen. Now, Chris, you told us quite a number of things. Chris told us that words that his spouse would use to describe him are trustworthy, caring and affectionate. And his clients would use trustworthy and caring. They would also say he's intelligent and you need to be intelligent when you are doing a law. Rightly so. He has a background. He was born and raised in Huddersfield in Leeds. He has a love and a passion for music. And he was a bright boy. He found school very easy. And guess what? There are some people who are just like that. Parents just look out for those kids and invest in them in the right way. Uh, he, what comes across that honesty means a lot to him. It's one of the qualities that he, he comes across in his work path, in his career, that means a lot. Now, how he helps people, he helps them by keeping things simple, finding out what he can do for the person. And he also focuses on enjoying what he does, enjoying his job. And if you're thinking about becoming a solicitor, Please remember, you have to deal with people. So if you're dealing with people, might as well you get on with liking them. If he wasn't a solicitor, he would have been a rock star. We're grateful he's a solicitor. Now, <laughs> I never heard me play. So. <laughs> Ooh, maybe I should hear you play. Yes. <laughs> so, and it, the, some of the things that he has pointed out, he explained to us about how he deals with scenarios, not the specific scenarios, but case in point, giving us an idea of how his job is. Now, when it comes to costs, you got to pay the man. It took him a long time to qualify. It's one of those jobs architect medicine law you know it does take a while but it's rewarding in the end um and he's very outright with it he say what his cost is and you decide if you want his service and rightly so now i want to ask you we were talking on the break but i want to ask you do you as a businessman a solicitor who runs his own business uh do you work with other uh solicitors or lawyers or professionals when you're doing a case has that ever come up happened yeah i'm working with uh, other professionals all the time i mean mm -hmm. my speciality is uh, in resolving disputes but um, quite often it's better to solve the dispute before it happens mm -hmm. so if you're in business if, particularly if you're talking about uh, your business partners you're going to need a shareholder agreement so I've got a, a consultant with the firm and she specializes in putting those kinds of things together. So we, mm -hmm. we like to think of ourselves as prevention and cure. 
Oh, fantastic. Okay, so you do work with people, but how do you choose them? How do you choose the people who you work with? Because I think your reputation is uh, not that other people's reputations aren't um, important, but yours as a, a solicitor is even more so important for what you do. Well, I mean, just like being a football manager, being a solicitor is a results business. So I, I judge people, you know, on, the, on their personalities when they come to me. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm all for giving people a chance, uh, but you, you have to deliver. Uh, and if I, if I use you and you're you're not up to scratch, you're not up to my standards, then I'm afraid you don't get chosen again. Okay, that's fair, and that's right across the board. And uh, we talk about making saying yes or no, being decisive. Yeah, this is one of the cases here. Case in point. Gotta say what you gotta say. Now, when you think of what you do now, and you, you're established, and you know you're you're growing. What would you say is a legacy you would like to have from Christopher Bergen's solicitors, litigation uh, specialist? Well, I, I mentioned it earlier on. I, I would like to think on some level that I actually contribute to business in England being done on a better, more honest level. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the kind of high principle uh, kind of legacy. Uh, every, every couple of years, um, there's somebody where I get to really make a difference to their lives, and that's fantastic. We'll, we'll go to a big court case and we'll win, and that'll make the difference in somebody's lives. So right now, I think I'm up to about half a dozen people where I really think, you know, that was really worth doing. So I've got a, maybe I've got another 15, 20 years to go, so hopefully there's a, a, a load more people like that. Fantastic. And what would you say in terms of is there a I know you're a small business still, but is there a charitable arm to what you do at all? A charitable arm. Yeah. In terms of uh, some companies affiliate themselves with just a charity that they sponsor or promote in their business. Um, not not a there is no formal kind of arrangement with charities. I mm -hmm. mean, what, what I'm trying to do is, I say, make the world a better place, put the money in the right hands, yeah. and then you can use that in a charitable way if you want. Well, can I point out that um, earlier this, well, earlier on the second half of this year, uh, he helped a young man who was going to university. He gave him, he gave him, he gave him a job. I have to say it. He gave him a job. It was last minute. This young man didn't, you know, when you just go to university, you're not, re you're not mature enough yet. He didn't organize himself in time. But Chris saw something in this person. He gave him a job and he never regrets it. That could be the charity of a side without even be recognizing. I, I never thought of it as charity. <laughs> it Vinay, is. Vinay was great and did a great job for him. <laughs> and he did a great job. But it's reaching out and giving opportunities. So you're helping without even recognizing. And I think it was worth worthy to say that you did that. Now, l let me just tip into your business is very busy. And sure. you have a personal life. How do you draw the balance? How do I draw the balance? Uh, so I, I, I work a lot. I do work a lot, but I think uh, you have to. So I go out and do special things. Uh, mm -hmm. My wife, Catherine, uh, loves uh, food and restaurants. So make a, a definite effort to uh, frequent as many nice restaurants as we can. Mm -hmm. And for myself, I, um, I go to gigs. I went to a gig last night in Hammersmith. And uh, I follow the, the football team. So there's a bunch of us from my hometown who live in London. So we go watch our local football team. Fantastic. And would you say uh, your webinars and so on, it yeah. gives you, it's sort of help people to understand you as an individual and why they should trust you to come do business with you. But um, 
Where else can people find out more about you and how to get in touch and all of that stuff? Sure. So um, we promote the webinars uh, and the webinars are on, on YouTube. And um, LinkedIn. And LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as well and uh, on Instagram as well. Um, I've got a website, which is where most of my information is. That's www.christopherbergen.co.uk. There's a lot in there about, particularly about director shareholders disputes, but also other stuff like contentious probate. And mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a useful place to go because if you think, God forbid, that you might need me, <laughs> then you can book a consultation or give us a call or send us an email. Fantastic. And all the information is there. So what is next for you now and your business? Next for me now, well, I'm, I'm trying to expand the business. What I hope to do is build a team of consultants who live up to my standards, who take care of the clients and deliver the results. Yes. Uh, so I'm building up the website so I can build my client base and hire those kinds of people and help more, help more clients as much as I can. Oh, and that, that I, I, I can say is... Um, Having a goal and a prospect in mind, you can't do business without looking ahead to see and know what you're going to do. Now, is there anything that you would have done differently when you were setting this business up? Um, yeah, uh, there's about there's about two thousand things that are done differently, um, but the, <laughs> but um, you, you don't know until you try. So I've, I've actually been running this firm for about five years and yes. we've moved off on a slightly different direction, but it took those five years of experience to get the knowledge to move on there. So. And what's the highlight, would you say, of your business at the moment? The highlight of the business? Well, I, uh, I had a, a four-day trial in September, which we won, very important to the client. So that was fantastic. That's a, that's a recent highlight. Okay. Thank you very much. Now... Guys, we are running out of time. At least we have just a few minutes left. So I'm going to ask Chris to just sum up nicely what his clients, can, his prospective clients can do for him or you listeners, what can you do to help his business? Uh, well, um, so I'm going to turn that on its head and I'm Go going on. to say, what can I do to help you? So if you know somebody in business who's got a dispute, um, they're easy to spot because they can't sleep and they're feeling very angry and they feel very let down and pretty hurt and they're very worried because probably their finances uh, uh, are in jeopardy. Uh, just uh, give them my name. Uh, and I'll speak to them. Uh, there's absolutely no charge in speaking to me. Quite often I find speaking to me for about an hour really helps. That may even resolve the full problem or certainly give people the clarity that they need. Mm -hmm. uh, so the best thing you can do to help me is uh, give my details to somebody you know who's uh, in business uh, and is suffering a little, has a problem, mm -hmm. and I'll hopefully be able to, uh, be able to ease their burden. <laughs> I almost said amen. And if that person is you, pick up the phone, give Chris a call. Well, thank you very much, Chris. I'm very pleased that you came all the way in the weather and everything. You came here in studio. Uh, it, was, it was a pleasure, Claudia. Thanks for asking. Indeed. Now, gentle folks, I thank you for your time and for your listenership. What I will say is stay tuned for Jazzy Jeff with Timbrel House. And at eight o'clock, we pass to Trevor, Noah Johnson, Trevor Johnson with Reflections. So we'll do this same place, same time next week. Talking Business. <laughs>
Adventist Radio London, inspiration for the soul.